Hey, this is Phil Knizel, lead pastor at Hope City Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. My prayer is that this helps and encourages you, gives you some practical ways to live out your faith, and ultimately fills you with hope. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. I, show of hands, okay? Have you ever accidentally texted the wrong person? <laughs> Right? I've done that more times than I would like to admit, thinking I'm texting Marla, my wife, and it's some buddy of mine who gets a face blow to kiss, and they're like, what up, Phil, right? I'm like, sorry, dude, right? I once read about a woman who thought she was te- texting her husband, and she said, when you get home and get the baby settled, call me, to which someone who was not her husband replied, I thought you had the baby. That's not a good deal, Right? <laughs> See, thinking we are communicating with one person when it's an entirely different person can be confusing and puzzling. And I wonder if that ever happens between us and God. Now, I don't mean we think we are praying to God and then we end up praying to someone else. But maybe what we think to be true about God isn't necessarily true about who he is. And that's what this series, At God, is about. It's getting a handle on who God is. And I want to talk about this because it makes a difference what you think and what you believe about God. Because if you think God is mean and ready to strike you the moment you do something bad, then you tend to live your life in a certain way. Or if you think that God is just good with anything and everything and all ways lead to him, then you also live your life in a certain way. It's very important what you believe about God. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at who God is as revealed to us through Scripture. And here's why this is important. What you believe God to be becomes the God you believe and see. And I'm going to say it again. What you believe God to be becomes the God that you believe and see. And here's a promise I have for you, okay? The more you understand who God is, the more it's going to change your life. And so throughout this series, we're going to be looking at attributes about God. And that's an interesting word because if you would just take the letter T out of the word attribute, you would be left with a tribute, And when you give someone a tribute, you tell the distinct qualities and characteristics of that person. You talk about who they are. And so that's what we're going to be doing. So what is God like? Well, Scripture gives us some clues. In the Old Testament, we read the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. There's some clues. Paul says this, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, in those two verses alone, we see that there are some attributes of God that are communicable and some that are incommunicable. Now, communicable meaning that some can be shared and understood by us. So, for example, we read that he is slow to anger and we can be slow to anger. Because he is loving, we can be loving. Because he is faithful, we can be faithful. But then some of his attributes are incommunicable, meaning we can't replicate them. Like, God is omnipotent, he is all-powerful, and friend, you will never have all power. 
God is omnipresent. We will never be present in and through all time in all places. God is invisible, and that sounds super cool, be a great superhuman power, but we will never be invisible. God is omniscient, meaning he knows all things, and friend, you will never know all things. Although, let's be honest, there's someone who's really close to that, and that's moms, right? (laughs) It's weird, but moms just know everything. I don't know, moms, good for you. So here's something we need to understand about God. God does because he is. God does because he is. It's not the other way around. God does something because he is something. And the writer of Psalm 119 says it this way, you are good and what you do is good. So God isn't good because he does good. God does good because he is good. Augustine said it this way, God, therefore, is uniquely good, and this he cannot lose. He is good. He is not good by sharing in any other good, because the good by which he is good is himself. So God does good because he is good. Augustine goes on. He says, when a finite human being, that's us, is good, his goodness derives from God because he cannot be his own good. All who become good do so through his spirit. And so basically, the communicable attributes of God are in us because we receive them from God. And that's, that's, that's pretty cool. And that's a cool thing, let's say, about the concept of grace. You are not good because you do good. You are good because a good God made you good. And if you do something bad, that doesn't make you necessarily bad because God made you good because Jesus took your punishment on the cross. And that's what's so awesome about Christianity. Every other religion in the world tells you you have to do to be, but God did so that you can be. And all this spills over into the first attribute of God that I want to talk about today. And I've been talking about it already, but that is this. God is good. Now, one of the biggest questions I've received over my years of pastoring has been something like this. Okay, if God is good, why is there so much awful in the world? Why is there so much hurt, evil, tragedy? There is no way God is good because of that. And to be honest, in one way, I can sort of understand why someone would ask a question like that. It's because of all the things we've seen throughout history and even all the things we're experiencing now, like whether on a global scale or even a personal scale. There's hurt, there's pain, there's tragedy, there's evil. And for some, this can point to, well, if God exists, he definitely can't be good. In his book, Mere Christianity, author C.S. Lewis noted, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. And this is kind of where the argument of evil as evidence against God's existence or goodness boomerangs into an argument for his existence. Because if there is an ultimate moral standard or law of justice, then there must be an ultimate moral lawgiver. And without his moral law, we would not even know what evil really is. And truth is, without his spiritual comfort, 
we wouldn't be able to properly endure evil, at least not with any realistic hope and comfort. I mean, that's why Paul wrote it this way. We sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. In the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, we read how God created the world and everything in it, including man and woman. And at the end of each day, we read these words, and God saw that it was good. Next day, and God saw that it was good. Next day, and God saw that it was good. And then after it all was done, in Genesis 1.31, we read, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So God created all things good. He created Adam and Eve in his own image. He placed them in this beautiful garden. They had a great relationship with them. He was their father. They were his children. And like any good father, he gave them rules to live by for their own benefit and for their own comfort. But God didn't want robots for children. He wanted them to desire a relationship with them on their own, and so he gave them free will to choose. We also know that Satan, otherwise known as Lucifer, was a former angel who caused a rebellion in heaven and persuaded one-third of the angels to join him. And because of that, God then expelled them from his presence. And what better way for these renegades to get back at God than to attack those he had created in his image? They tempted the humans to question God and disobey God's rules. And having free will... Adam and Eve fell for Satan's deception and chose to disobey God, and because of that choice, sin, death, and evil entered the world. But God loves his creation, and so he formulated a plan to rescue humanity once and for all by offering his son Jesus so that we could be free from sin and death if we believe upon him. And so once we make the best decision of our life, which is to follow Jesus, we are super grateful for all of that. But there's still a reality for every single one of us until we reach eternity. And here it is. Life is hard, but God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. The writer of Psalm 118 said, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. God is good, meaning he is morally perfect and gloriously generous. And here's the thing. Acknowledging God is good is the foundation of all biblical thinking about moral goodness. Like, good in Scripture is not an abstract quality, nor is it a secular human ideal. Good means first and foremost what God is, then what he does, creates, commands, gives, and finally what he approves in the lives of his creation. God does good because he is good. Remember that verse I showed you earlier? It said this, you are good and what you do is good. And so what does God do to show his goodness? Lots of things. Here's a few. We see it in a saving act of liberating Israel from Egypt back in the book of Exodus. We see it when he returned a remnant of Israel from captivity in the book of Ezra. We experience it in our own lives with personal deliverance from things. The fact that he gave Jesus to save humanity from sin, punishment, and death illustrates this. God is good because of who he is and what he does, but it's also extended to his name. Check this out. It says, and I will hope in your name, for your name is what? Good. good. 
His goodness is extended to his promises. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. It extends to his commands. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. God's goodness extends to his gifts. James says it this way, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It also extends to his providence. And we know that in all things, God works for the what? For the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Understand this, God's goodness has no bounds, no limits, and cannot be measured. God is infinitely good. And the greatest display was illustrated when he gave Jesus to go to the cross for all of humanity. And here's what Satan does. He tells us to look at the world and the horrible things, and he tries to impute God's character. So if God is good, why'd that happen? Please hear me out, friend. God didn't create a messed up world. We did because God allowed us to have free will. Disease, evil, tragedy, and hurt, they're not from God. All this came into the world after sin entered the world. Bottom line, God is good. Okay, Phil, sure. But here's my reality. You're telling me God is good, but I don't see it. I don't feel it. And some days I have a really hard time believing it. And I know for many of you, life is hard. And in that, it's hard to see and experience the goodness of God. You've lost someone you love. You're facing a diagnosis that scares you. Your marriage is tanking. You don't really know what to do. Your kids are far from God. It doesn't seem like they even care anymore. Your finances keep ending up in the red. And I could go on here. You know, last weekend at our Engage Worship and Prayer Night, we had an opportunity for anyone who wants prayer to get prayed over from one of our pastoral staff. And I got to tell you, friends, there are some heavy, difficult things that people are walking through. And know this, my heart breaks for you. My heart weeps alongside of yours. My heart is heavy with yours. And I'm praying for you. And I feel for you. And honestly, I hate the effects that sin has on our world. But life is hard. And so I got to stand on the promise that God is good. Life is hard. But I believe in the promise that God is good. Life is hard. I have to rely on the promise that God is good. And some of you today, you need to hear this even if you don't feel it or or believe it right now. God is good. And so I want to take you, I want to take you to someone who I think we all can relate to and someone who knew that life was hard. He wrote a book in the Bible called Lamentations which is defined as the passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It's someone known as Jeremiah, who also has a self-titled book in the Old Testament, and he had the nickname of the weeping prophet. Summed up, his life stunk. Seriously, no one wanted what he went through. And so I want to take you to Lamentations chapter 3. I'm going to read a good chunk of verses here, but I think you're going to be able to relate to this guy. This is what he says. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. 
So he's saying, I'm not doing good. I've seen affliction. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. Talk about feeling like you don't feel like God's there. This is Jeremiah. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. Listen to how he describes that. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. Anyone bitter? Anyone going through hardship? He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains like life is heavy. I can't go on. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. It's like God's not listening. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my path crooked. Listen to this. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me. (laughs) Like, talk about descriptive here. And left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrow. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. I don't know if you've ever chewed gravel, but that's not, that's not pleasant. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. You missing peace? I've forgotten what prosperity is, so I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I was hoping for a lot of stuff, and it's gone, man. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Think you're having a bad day? This dude was having a bad life. Life is hard. No question. And he just put into words some of the very things that some of you are experiencing and walking through. Life is hard. But here's what I love about Jeremiah. Okay, so check this out, okay? He, he finishes this rant with the words, my soul is downcast within me. And then he says, yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Three letters that change everything. I'm living in affliction. I'm living in hardship. God never hears my prayer. I'm mangled. I'm without peace. I'm bitter yet. Yet there is something I call to mind. Yet. Yet says there is something I, I, I still haven't explained. Yet says there is something that I still believe. What does he say? Yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. You know what Jeremiah did here? He provided us with ways that illustrate when life is hard, God is still good. His goodness then brings hope. And whatever hard situation you are in today, may the words of Jeremiah bring you some hope. What does he do? He calls things to mind. And Jeremiah calls these five things to mind. First one is this. He remembers God's love. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Other versions say the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases or never fails. 
Now, the Hebrew word here for love, Hebrew, because that's the original language this was written in, it's a word called hesed, which means a deep covenant love, a loyal love. God's love is built on loyalty, especially related to the covenant that he initiated, the covenant he made with Israel long before, stating that if they follow him, he will lead them, keep them, and guide them. God's love will never go wrong for you. It will never leave you. It'll never be absent from your life. He is forever loyal, meaning he will never forsake you. He won't turn his back on you. He will never walk away from you. And Jeremiah said, I I remember this. I call this to mind in my hard times. Whatever it is that I'm facing, I remember God's love for me. I remember that he has always loved me and he will always love me. The second thing Jeremiah calls to mind about the goodness of God is that he realizes his compassions never fail, meaning his mercies never come to an end. They are available every single day. God's care, God's compassion, they are always present. He's not far off. He's not aloof to what it is that you're facing. He is there in all circumstances and in all situations. He's wanting to comfort you like a good father comforts his children. Peter says it this way. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Notice, cast all your worries, all your anxieties on him, not just some. Why? Because God cares for you. His compassions never fail. And I love that Jeremiah states that they are new every morning. That's saying we don't have a quota to God's compassion and care. Like, we don't use it up. There's no limit. It's like Groundhog Day every day in a good way, right? Because each new day we wake up and His care and compassion are fresh, ready, and available. Life is hard. But God is good because He gives us His love. His compassions never fail. And thirdly, Jeremiah calls this to mind. He recognizes God's faithfulness. What does he say? He says, great is your faithfulness. Great meaning large in size, remarkable in magnitude, remarkable and large in effectiveness. That is God's faithfulness in our lives. His faithfulness is large. It's large in magnitude. It's massive in effectiveness. See, God is good because he stays true to what he says, meaning he is trustworthy. He is always who he says he is. He doesn't change. He is faithful and completely dependable no matter what. And friend, did you hear that today? No matter what. Even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. Even when it feels like no one else is, God is faithful. Even when what you are experiencing is hard, God is faithful. Why? Because that's who he is. Paul wrote it this way, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. A fourth thing Jeremiah calls to mind is this, he resolves that God is all he has. He says it this way, the Lord is my portion. And that's a word we don't really use a lot these days, but it means to be affiliated with God and to belong to God's community. He is our portion, our unlimited resource. He has what we need, and because of that, he is all that we need. The author of one of the Psalms says it this way, who have I in heaven but you? In other words, God, you're all I have. 
And maybe you've heard this, but I've heard this over and over from Christians walking through hard times. They say something like this. If it wasn't for God, I don't know how I could do this. Because God is all we have, and in fact, God is all we need. Now, there's one more thing that Jeremiah recalls, and he kind of recalls it by saying, I will do an action, and that is this, the fifth thing. He releases control. So he says, because God is my portion, therefore, I will wait for him. Wait for him, meaning in and through every situation, I know God's will and his ways will be done. Wait for him, meaning he has all things in his hands. He will show himself in my circumstance. He is in control. I don't have to fear. He is in control, and I don't have to try to control things on my own. Man, don't we all want control? But waiting for him involves true surrender to him. Life is hard, yet Jeremiah calls these five things to mind. Here's kind of the cool thing, okay? So Jeremiah says these things about God. And look at the following verse. So he calls these things to mind, and Jeremiah says this in verse 25. The Lord is good to those who, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Did you hear that? So he's tripping out about his life. He's complaining about all the things that are going wrong. He calls to mind the things he knows to be true about God. And what does he say right after that? The Lord is what? The Lord is good. God is good. He is good to those whose hope is in him. Friend, life is hard, but God is good. And here's what I love about Jeremiah. He doesn't shy away from expressing his pain, right? Like he goes pretty hard. He goes pretty deep in expressing how he's feeling. And I think a lot of us, we know how to do that. But maybe that's where we stop. And because of that, then we have a hard time believing or stating that God is good. Yet in his deepest pain, Jeremiah calls to mind what his faith compels him to know and to be true. Life is hard, yet there is a caveat. God is good, and here's why. Let me summarize those five things he calls to mind. God loves me. He is always dependable. He never changes. He has what I need. He is in control. Friends, when life is hard, you call this to mind. God loves me. He is always dependable. He never changes. He has what I need. He is in control. Hope City, when life is hard, what do you call to mind? And I want you to say this with me. God loves me. Let me hear you. He is always dependable. He never changes. He has what I need. He is in control. Church, that's why I can say God is good. Life is hard. But friend, God is good. I'm going to ask you to stand if you can, please. I want to pray over you. God, I thank you so much that in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our pain and hardship, we, by faith and by living it out, know that you are a good God in our life. And I know today there are many walking through hard times, walking through 
difficult scenarios. And God, I pray today that this doesn't turn them further from you, but draws them closer to you. I pray that in the midst of the difficulty, they understand, God, who you truly are, that you love them, that you're always dependable, that you never change, that you have what they need, and that you are in control. And may those truths about your goodness be spoken deep inside hearts, minds, and lives today. May those truths be depended upon and counted upon. And so when we walk through the hard times, we say, yes, life is hard, but my God, who I love, who I serve, who I trust, he is a good God. And so I pray for that faith to rise up that confidence to be there, that assurance to stand on the truth that we know to be true about you, God. For you will never fail. You will never forsake. You will never abandon. Why? Because you are a good God. And so we we rely upon that and we walk in that, Lord. And maybe you're here and you just don't know Jesus personally. And the whole concept of a good God who sent his son to die for you on a cross and rise to offer you life both now and forever is just something you're saying, I need to accept that goodness. I need to believe in Jesus. And if you want to pray a prayer of that, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to help you because a lot of times we don't know what to say or how to do that. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer and ask you to pray along with me right now. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross so that I can be forgiven. Thank you that he's not dead, but he rose and he's alive and he offers hope. And in this act, I see the goodness of you, God, so richly and so perfectly. And so today, I want to put my faith, my trust, and belief in you. Today, I make you Lord and leader of my life. And God, I pray over every individual, over every couple, and over every family. Whatever hard is in front of them this week, whatever scenario they are walking through, facing, and decisions that need to be made, I pray that they sense an overwhelming, compelling presence of the goodness of God inside of their lives. I pray that they know, God, that you love them, you're dependable, you never change, you have what they need, and you are in control. And so as they walk in that assurance, pray that they walk with full confidence. I pray this over and for them in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you um, prayed the prayer of surrendering your life to Christ, can I just ask you to scan the QR code in the seat back in front of you? Or if you're watching, just scan it on the screen. It's our way of connecting with you and helping you take some next steps in your journey with Jesus and actually getting to know you personally so you're not just out there. I want to say this, if you're joining us in person, we're going to have some prayer available down at the front right after the service. Our pastor would love to pray over and for you. Now, on your way out, you're going to be handed a card that states the following. Life is hard. God is good. Here's why. God loves me. He is always dependable. He never changes. He has what I need. He is in control. And I want you to take this and I want, to, I want you to put it somewhere where you're going to see it often. Because friends, it is hard. 
But we need to be reminded of the goodness of God over and over and over again. And allow these truths to speak into your mind and to speak into your heart in difficult situations. Life is hard, but remember, as you go into this week, God is good. I love you guys. I'm praying for you and I'm cheering you on. Thank you for being in church today. God bless.